Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. I hope you had a wonderful, safe, happy, healthy holiday, and here we are, the final regular season matchup of the year. It's finally upon us. The season is finally over. For better or for worse, we don't have to watch this team anymore. The Jets lose to New England and Foxborough 14-28 to to finish the season out at 2-14. and So an abysmal season, but like I said, it's over. It's in the past now. And Chris Johnson, Jets ownership, pulled the trigger on firing Adam Gase officially, so he is out. We can start looking ahead to other stuff, and... In reality, it's going to be a pretty fun, interesting podcast because it's a clean slate for the Jets right now. We don't have a head coach. We've got a lot of opportunity with the draft, with the cap space that we've got. seems like we've got a good front office in place, and there's a lot to get to. So we're going to talk about the upcoming schedule for the podcast. Then we're going to go into the Adam Gase firing, some coaching candidates. We're going to talk about Chris Johnson, Woody Johnson, Joe Douglas, their roles in this whole thing. We've got to talk about the final standings of the NFL, as well as take a quick preview of the playoff in the national championship game that's going to play Pretty big role in the Jets' decisions coming up in April. I've got an awesome Father Time submission for today. And then we're going to touch on the Jets-Patriots game briefly, but a lot less than we usually would for a few reasons. One, it was a horrible game. Two, it was the last game of the season. And at this point, it doesn't really matter. There's no more evaluation moving forward. We're going to do a good team recap at the end of the year. But this game didn't add a lot of substance in terms of evaluation stats or anything like that, really by the way it all turned out at the end. And then on top of that, we got a bunch of other stuff we want to get to. So bear with me as we go through a a slightly different style here. But we got a lot of fun stuff coming up, as I mentioned. So before we continue, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gang Green Nation podcast series title. This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And that's what I want to bring up as my next point is something I plan on doing on my Twitter moving forward with the NFL playoffs is I think it's really important to scout college players. I start doing that. I start looking at highlights and looking at film on some players, you know, about this time of year, all the way up through the draft. But it's also really important to scout NFL players. And that can be a little bit more difficult because people don't put together the same, you know, prospect draft videos on YouTube and stuff. They don't do as many breakdowns on all the players in the league. So what I'm going to do is moving forward, I'm going to look at the free agents in each playoff matchup coming up over the next four weeks or so. And I'm going to post on Twitter before each game, which guy's going to be an unrestricted or restricted exclusive rights, whatever type of free agent they may be on each team, just to give you an idea of who to be looking at. Right. So you're looking at these teams. One good thing about it is you're talking about some of the best teams in the league. So you're going to have some really high level talent there, but the jets have a lot of cap space as well. And they've got a ton of holes to fill. And I'm sure that one of these players, two of these players, a handful that are playing in these games in the upcoming weeks will end up on the Jets next year filling some of those holes with some of that money. So follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Check it out before each game. Let me know if you want other information or anything included in that, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk free agents in the NFL and start scouting guys that maybe we're like, hey, do we want this guy at outside linebacker? We don't have to look for starters necessarily. We can be looking for depth pieces, guys like, you know, that Frankie Louvu type. It could be that Arthur Mollette type, but just to replace those guys, maybe improve it a little bit. we got to identify what kind of contract this guy's worth, what his role is on the team, whether or not we think they're going to get him back, their cap space. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But the first thing is just figuring out if the guy's the right fit for the team moving forward. And when we get our head coach and we have a better idea of the direction the team is going, I think that's going to be a little bit easier. But it's still good to familiarize yourself with the names now because we're going to do plenty of free agency previews coming up on this podcast. So as mentioned, all of that can be found on my Twitter at Jets underscore Dan before each playoff matchup. Now, with the season coming to an end, I'm going to move to, at least for now, bi-weekly episodes. Instead of doing every single Tuesday, I'm going to do every other Tuesday. There's just not quite as much to cover, but I do want to get into you know a review of the rookies. I definitely want to do postseason recap on where everybody finished in terms of stats, the team's ranks in the league, where that all leveled out. I want to do some awards because we've been doing offense, defense, special teams, player of the game all year. We've been doing doghouse player of the game all year. We got to do our final tallies on those numbers. And then 
we got to start looking at who's going to be an unrestricted free agent on the Jets. Who do we have to resign in-house first before that free agency period begins? Then we got to start prepping for the free agency, prepping for the draft, recapping all those things. There's going to be plenty of stuff. And if we have gaps, we may do a mailbag. If you've got any other ideas of stuff you want to see thrown into one of these podcasts, let me know. I'm flexible. I can talk about anything Jets you want to talk about. I love it all. So let me know on Twitter. Reach out, however. So the first order of business today is the big news. Adam Gase has been fired, officially relieved of his duties. Chris Johnson informed him. The New York Jets posted it. It's 100% official. We talked about it last week because they mentioned it on uh, Craig Carton's show. But now it's in the bag. Adam Gase finished his Jets career 9-23. and 23. Very, very bad. He finished the end of last season 6-2. and two, So it was a bit of a hot streak to win those total seven games last year. And that was part of the reason Chris Johnson said in his press conference that, you know, they considered that hot streak at the end of the year. They were hoping that it would continue. Obviously, it didn't. And after winning two games this year, he's gone. So Adam Gase failed. We know that. There were a lot of things that were really annoying. His obsession with specific players like Frank Gore, his obsession with running the same play over and over, his inability to adapt to make changes, the lack of creativity, not using our weapons, guys like Chris Herndon, not giving the ball to Denzel Mims at specific times, and then not really being involved in the defense and being pretty much overall unliked by at least most fans. It's hard to tell what the players actually believe of Adam Gase because, believe it or not, over the years, Joe Douglas has actually, well, year and a half that he's been here, he's actually tried to, as he says, build the best culture in sports. So what that means is he gets the nicest guys. They were team captains in college. They were good guys from around the NFL. He doesn't have a lot of thugs, punks, jerks, or assholes on the team. We had one. He got rid of them. And so when you when you ask these guys, you know, how's your coach, you're not going to get a bunch of bad bunch of bad words on them. These guys overall are just too good of guys to do something like that, to turn on their coach. And when you think about it, there was a lot of talk about Trevor Lawrence. There was a lot of talk about Adam Gase. There's a lot of, you know, disappointment that we kept Gase and disappointment that we weren't able to tank properly. But considering the team went 2-14 and 14 in this New York market with this media, it really was not that ugly in terms of, you know, big headlines, players saying stupid things, guys unhappy, guys wanting out, saying, you know, we don't trust. You see these teams that are losing games or anything, and they're talking bad about their coach, they're talking bad about the ownership or anything, and saying, like, this team sucks. The Jets didn't do that. I know it's a COVID year, so there were less interviews, but they really... They got a pretty nice unit of good guys here, and I think Joe Douglas is going to continue that sort of cycle. So don't be surprised if the players didn't say much bad about him. It's possible they still think negatively of him. But either way, he is out. And unfortunately, people are thinking that he may be taking Sam Darnold with him. Not where he goes, but just off of the Jets. Both of them out together. And Adam Gase failed Sam Darnold. He really did. He made him regress. He didn't coach him properly. He never got him a quarterback's coach. He got him Dawa Loggins, a weird little puppet guy who would never stray away from Adam Gase. And actually, believe it or not, when it was all said and done, called better plays than Gase. But he never surrounded him with the ability to succeed and grow and utilize his strengths and be better. And it's really frustrating. But when it comes down to it, you got to blame a bunch of other people as well. Mike McCagden's the guy that signed off on Adam Gase and put this team together and really messed the whole thing up. This is the first time, with Adam Gase gone, the first time that we really have a clean slate from all that McCagden drama and BS. Chris Johnson, he was the guy that brought in Gase as well, signed off officially on it. And Peyton Manning putting in a good word for Gase. Oh, get him in. I think that went a long way in the Jets hiring Adam Gase, was Peyton Manning saying great things about him, singing his praises. And so all of those things led Gase to be here. Chris Johnson, Mike McCagden, Peyton Manning, blame them because the minute Gase got here, Sam Darnold started regressing. And it looked like he wasn't even having as much fun. And I don't blame him. So for that, I will always be upset with Adam Gase. But we do wish him the best because he was never a bad person. He was just not the right coach for this team. So we mentioned him before. Attached at the hip, where Adam Gase goes, Dowell Loggins goes. What's the deal with Dowell now? Dowell is the Jets' offensive coordinator, a very prominent position in the NFL. We know especially looking through our coaching searches, we know most of the offensive coordinators in the league. There are very few that have been there for multiple years that you don't know or hear from and have a good idea about. But Dawa Loggins, he hasn't been fired. 
We had a big old deal, a big podcast special when Greg Williams got fired. That was crazy. We had a whole big last week with Adam Gase rumored to be fired. This week, him getting fired. Dowell Loggins, where's his send-off? I don't see anything on the internet of him officially being fired. I haven't heard anything from him. If you type him in and look up news, it's shocking how little information and news there is considering the Jets are going through a coaching change and he's basically, you know, Tweedledee to Tweedledum. So I don't know what the deal is with him. I feel bad for him. I don't think that he was a good offensive coordinator. I mentioned it already. I think that he was better than Gase when he called plays in those few games that he got the opportunity, even though Gase denies it. Clearly, Dawa Loggins had a say in some. It was better. Then Gase took back over. It got a little bit worse. Dawa Loggins had some great moments to challenge flag, but I just worry that he's just going to one day disappear and we're never really going to... We hardly got any press conferences from him. We hardly got any quotes. Hardly any moments on the screen. Didn't get many chances to call plays. He was just like... This funny little guy that looks like Timon from The Lion King. And I don't know where he's going to go next, but, you know, if Adam Gase goes to become an assistant, does he get to bring a plus one in Dawa Loggins? Or does Dawa Loggins now have to try to go find work elsewhere and start back from the bottom without Gase? Or does Dawa Loggins become the real hot commodity and he brings Gase along from now on? And now Gase is working for Dawa. And maybe every once in a while Dawa gives him the challenge flag. A ton of stuff left unanswered with Dawa Loggins. We may never know. He seems like one of the most mysterious players in Jets coaching history that was just like there. We liked him. His name was funny. He looked funny. His demeanor, everything about it, the roles that he played were funny, and we wanted to kind of build him up as a story, but we just couldn't because they gave us nothing. And it was kind of surprising in this media, but uh, slipped through the cracks, and who knows where he lands. We will follow up on Dawa Loggins. Promise you that. So now that these guys are out, at least Adam Gates for sure, we got to start looking at who are our candidates. I mentioned a bunch of names last week when it was rumored that Gates would be gone, but wasn't official. I have since tailored my list, refined it a little bit, and really done a lot more thinking about who do I want to be the coach of the Jets. My number one guy, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. The reason that I want him, because he's a leader of men, he's respected, he's inspiring. Yes, he coaches defense, and the Jets fans Fan base really want to start going towards the offensive side of the ball. But in my perfect world, a guy like Robert Sala comes to be the head coach and not be the coordinator of the defense or the offense. He lets other coaches, coordinators, do that role. Finds the right guys to do it, of course, that share his vision and his passion. But he actually leads the team. Situational game planning, firing the team up, day-to-day stuff. You know, what head coaches should really be doing. Not sitting for the whole game with their face in a clipboard, missing the other side of the ball like Adam Gase would do like Todd Bowles would do. We need to find somebody who can coach the team. I think Robert Sala is perfect for that. Some other guys right behind him that I like, Brian Dable, offensive coordinator of the Bills. He has been given an interview, or he will be given an interview. Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator of the Titans. He will be given an interview. And Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator of the Ravens. We haven't heard anything on him yet. The guys that are confirmed to have interviews set with the Jets are Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, The worry there is that he's got a little bit of a checkered past, didn't interview well in the past, and people say that it's potentially Andy Reid and Biennemi's just a smaller figure there. You know, is it one of those situations where, yeah, Matt Patricia was the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, but just because you did that on a great defense doesn't mean that you're now set to be a head coach. You can fail very quickly. People worry that Biennemi is that guy. Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator of the Rams. He's really young. He came in out of nowhere. They got rid of Wade Phillips, and Staley came in and put together a really good defense with the Rams really quick. They've got some really good players, but the players came together. Not much is known on him because he's so young and been here for such a short time, so it's hard to say whether or not he would be a good head coach leader. Again, I'm looking for a leader, leader of men. Another confirmed interview, Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator of the Giants. This one's interesting. He's a New York guy. In reality, the Giants didn't make the playoffs. They lost 10 games. The defense did overachieve, but the team was bad. And Patrick Graham, I think he's got, you know, do the interviews, go through the process, get used to it. There will be chances coming up, but I don't think this is his year. We mentioned Arthur Smith. He's confirmed. Brian Dable, he's confirmed. Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator of the Colts. This one's interesting. The Colts have had a pretty good defense. Not a ton of talent, but a decent amount of talent. And that defense has been pretty consistent, pretty reliable. And there's definitely a history between 
Hogan of the Jets in their front office, one of Joe Douglas's main guys. And then, you know, he came from the Colts. So he knows Eberflus well. They got a good relationship. Potentially, relationships go a long way. And maybe Eberflus is given the opportunity. But again, it really comes down to who wows me as a leader. I don't care about your defensive coordinator work. I don't care about your offensive co- coordinator work. I care about you being a part of success, doing your job well, but then being confident, being able to lead, have people believe in you, know what you're doing, make good situational calls, don't put your foot in, a, foot in your mouth, interview well, press conference is good. The New York media has got more people with cameras and more columns written than any other market you can find in football. So if you say something stupid or you accidentally say the wrong thing, you can get absolutely hammered and it can go a long way. You got to be thick skinned and you got to be ready to handle all that. So we'll see what happens, but just don't be too sold on OC or DC because any head coach is going to hire an OC or DC. And yes, they could hire an OC like Dawa Loggins and do the job themselves, but they could also hire somebody who's an up and comer, you know, a Zach Taylor, Arthur Smith. He was hired to be an offensive coordinator. You could find the next, that guy, the younger version. We'll see what the Jets do. I'm excited to see. Next thing I want to talk about is Chris Johnson, Woody Johnson, and Joe Douglas and their roles in this whole thing. Because, of course, when you're looking for a head coach, you worry, what is going to happen? Who's going to make the decision? Chris Johnson's the guy that pretty much pulled the trigger on Adam Gase. Peyton Manning's words, Mike McCagnan signed off on it. Chris Johnson, all in. Fell for those crazy eyes. And so you worry, is Chris Johnson going to make the decision again? What about Woody Johnson? He left four years ago to be Donald Trump's UK ambassador. That's the reason that little brother Chris Johnson even took over in the first place. And Chris Johnson, frankly, has not done a good job. If we're being honest with ourselves, he had a really nice opening statement regarding racial inequality right when he took on the job, when that was a big deal in the NFL. We were one of the first teams to put a really nice you know, statement out there saying that we won't stand for it and that we will allow players to kneel and do whatever they want to do. And it was like, whoa, this guy's kind of cool. He gets with the times. He seems like he gets it. I don't know if Woody Johnson ever would have written this and been one of the first guys in the NFL to do it. So I think we kind of really quickly fell for Chris Johnson. But then when you start to see his track record of hiring, his track record of when he fired Mike McCagnan, bringing in Adam Gase, falling for stuff, it just really wasn't good until we got Joe Douglas. And the great news is, is from what Chris Johnson and everybody has been saying so far. Chris Johnson right now is going to remain the owner working for now. On the 20th, when Woody Johnson's available, he's going to be mixed in. Chris Johnson does defer to Woody Johnson. He did say he doesn't think that he's taking it over now, and now it's like, well, Woody, you're never getting this back. He says basically if Woody wants it, it's his. Both of them are going to be involved in what's going on. Chris Johnson will actually be there in the interviews and everything, and he's going to do the final sign-off. Woody Johnson will be kept in the loop, loop, and he also has to do a sign-off. But the actual decision, primarily, is going to be made by Joe Douglas. That's what Chris Johnson said. They've got a team president, Jaime, who's also going to be involved in a little bit, but the decision is going to be made primarily by Joe Douglas. And the great news about that also is Chris Johnson mentioned that they're not looking for, like I said, an OC or a DC. They're not looking for a guy who controls one side of the ball. They're looking for a head coach, a guy that can coach a team And that's exactly what I want to hear. So far, so good. I trust Joe Douglas with everything in me in making personnel decisions because, frankly, he hasn't made many bad ones. He had a great draft, one of the best drafts we've seen in a long time. I'm not saying that seven out of nine guys hit, but I'm saying three out of nine, maybe four out of nine hit, and that's way better than the NFL average, something that we haven't done in years. And you can talk about his free agents not really panning out. He had a bunch of guys that weren't as good as we hoped they'd be. But he didn't give any of those C.J. Mosley, Le'Veon Bell contracts. He didn't give any major contracts where you're like, ah, shit, we're stuck with this guy. He's got a garbage contract that's going to eat us alive for the next three years. I'm a Knicks fan. I know what that feels like. We're Jets fans. We saw Tannenbaum. We saw everybody else hand out those big contracts. But Cagden handed out big contracts. Joe Douglas did not. So while he didn't hit on anything, or he didn't hit on as many as we would have liked in free agency perhaps, he also didn't have those big whiffs that are going to burn us in the future. So I love Joe Douglas. I am with him 100%, and I trust in this front office more than I've trusted in any front office we've ever had. This clean slate with Joe Douglas making the decision and finding his guy to share his vision, I truly believe that it's going to work out amazingly. I really do. 
So that is really all I got for the head coaching search as of right now. As information becomes available, we're going to talk about it on this podcast whenever they come out. And let's feel good about the process. Next order of business is to talk about the final draft standings. The Jets are picking second. First pick in the league goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were the absolute worst. The Jets were just a little bit worse, but had one more win. So they'll be picking second. What does that mean? They probably won't get Trevor Lawrence, but they're going to be stuck in a situation where they have to figure out, do they want to get a quarterback? Do they want to trade back to try to get more talent? Or do they think that somebody like an offensive tackle or a wide receiver or somebody is just so darn good that they don't want to pass up on that player? There's a lot of different options. I'm not going to sit here and act like there's, you know, one size fits all. This is going to remain a very, very fluid situation. Some coaches are going to want to come here because they want to pick a specific quarterback from college. Other guys may love Darnold. Other guys may say, we don't need a quarterback in this draft. I want to build a good team. Other guys may not care about any of that at all. Joe Douglas, he's got to do his evaluation. He's got to decide, are these quarterbacks so darn good you want to pass up on everybody else? And is that what's going to make this team the best five, six years from now? I'm not going to sit here and say, in 2028, if the Jets don't have Justin Fields, they can't be winning Super Bowls. They don't have Trey Lance. They can't win Super Bowls. Zach Wilson, any of them. That simply isn't true. So to sit here and say that it's got to be Zach Wilson, because that's the, if you have Zach Wilson, you win Super Bowls. If you don't have him, you don't win them. It's nice to talk like that right now. It's, it's fun to you know have an opinion. It's fun to build the narratives and everything, get hyped up about that stuff before the draft. But don't believe it too much, because there's a lot of different ways you can make a good team. Quarterback, no quarterback. They're at that number two pick. Other teams may want that pick. It's also extremely important that we root against the Seahawks as they have our pick. We got to root against the Seahawks. They are playing the Rams this weekend. Jared Goff didn't play the last game of the season. He's still banged up. Questionable if he's going to be able to play. If not, backup quarterback John Walford will be starting against the Seahawks for the Rams. If you remember that name, it's because he played for the Jets. I don't think he ever had a snap, but he was a practice squad guy for us. And he got that job because he was a damn good quarterback for the Arizona Hotshots in the Alliance of American Football. Back in those days, AAF, John Walford was getting it done. He revived his football career, got the opportunity back in the NFL. It's been the backup to Jared Goff. Sean McVay seems to like him. He didn't have a great game last week in his first time ever playing, but he was all right. And with that defense they have there, pretty good running back committee. And hopefully, you know, a really good DC and a really good head coach who kind of calls the plays and stuff, maybe they can get it done. The reason we want the Seahawks to lose is because we get the Seahawks pick. The quicker they lose, the better that draft pick is. If they make it to the Super Bowl and win it, we're going to get pick 32. If they lose first round, we may get pick 20. Big difference when you're talking about 12 spots. So rooting against them, a show. The rest of the league, if you're interested in the rest of the draft standings, you've got the Atlanta Falcons actually finished at 4-12. and 12. That was the third worst record in the league. Tied with the Texans, the Eagles, then you got the Bengals at four wins, 11 losses. It's going to be a very interesting draft. We don't have to worry about too many of those teams. The teams we have to look at is who in this list would really want a quarterback. You've got the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan's getting old. Would they want one? The Houston Texans. They've got Deshaun Watson. They won't, but that pick goes to Miami, and they just drafted Tua Tungabailoa. you got the Philadelphia Eagles, who just drafted Jalen Hurts. Cincinnati Bengals, who just drafted Joe Burrow. Detroit Lions. They currently have Matt Stafford. Then you start getting into some teams like the Carolina Panthers. They've got Teddy Bridgewater. Denver Broncos, Drew Locke. He could be replaced. Dallas Cowboys technically don't have Drew Prescott yet. Dak Prescott yet. The New York Giants. Are they sold on Daniel Jones? Are they ready to move on? The 49ers. Do they want to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo? And the Patriots, obviously, don't appear to have a quarterback, nor do the Washington football team. There's a bunch of teams that could potentially want one. The reason I'm saying who wants a quarterback is because those are the teams that would trade up to that number two spot. The Bengals may do it to try to get an offensive lineman. This guy, Penny Sewell, offensive tackle from Oregon, is supposed to be the real deal. They may be interested in trading up. Maybe some other teams that really want to boost the offensive line and get a potential generational tackle. But quarterback is that big one that really draws the team in, really gets them to trade in. And I may want to trade back. I may. And honestly, if I'm being honest right now, this may piss some of you off. I would not be angry to go into next season with Sam Darnold at quarterback if we built a really good team around him. If those picks that were potentially going to go to a quarterback were spent on really awesome, you know, six, seven, eight-year star players for the Jets. That's the plan would be. So 
Final draft standings, Jets are drafting second. Because the Jaguars didn't win the last game against the Colts, we will not be swapping every other round with draft positioning. They're going to get the first pick in every round. We're going to get the second pick in every round. Next order of business is a very quick playoff preview. Playoffs are going to be a lot of fun. I mentioned that I'm going to talk about the free agents from each team to get everybody prepped for free agency. Starting on Saturday, this weekend, the 9th, believe it or not, it's going to be the Indianapolis Colts at Buffalo. Division rivals won the division. Hottest team in the league right now, probably. That's going to be a fun game. Looking forward to that at 1 o'clock. 4 o'clock after that, we got that Rams-Seahawks game. It's in Seattle. but That's the one that, I mean, if the Rams win that game, we get a significantly better pick. We could be talking about getting a guy like Najee Harris or Kyle Pitts if the Seahawks win that game. Or if the Rams win that game, rather. Then after that, let's watch Tom Brady lose to the worst playoff team I've ever seen in the Washington football team. The football team is the actual home team in this game. They're going to get absolutely demolished by Tampa Bay unless somehow this could be considered a trap game. A playoff game could actually be a trap game because the Washington team is so horrible. That's at 8 o'clock. When you move over to the Sunday slate of games, you got a 1 o'clock Baltimore at Tennessee. Really fun game. Lamar Jackson versus Ryan Tannehill. Great rushing attack from both teams. That's going to be fun. 440, Chicago versus New Orleans. That is absolutely no fun. We don't even know if Alvin Kamara is going to be able to play because of COVID. We'll see what happens there. Speaking of COVID, the next game, Cleveland Browns at Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't root for either team. Cleveland Browns just had a huge outbreak of a, or a bunch of different COVID cases. There's a bunch of different rumors going on right now, but Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, will not even be there for the game. He's got COVID, so they're going to be passing off to somebody else. It's like the first time the Browns make the playoffs in 20 years. And don't get me wrong, I was kind of rooting against them because you leave a team down. They're always worse than the Jets. Now everyone's talking about, oh, the Jets haven't made the playoffs in so long. Even the Browns are making it. It's like we used to say, like, well, the Browns have been 20 years. At least we're 10. But at this point, they made the playoffs, and now the worst luck in the world, basically. And, you know, hopefully everybody does all right there. You want to root for the Browns here. That would be a really unfortunate way to finally make the playoffs and then just get demolished by a division rival without your head coach and everything. Kind of feel bad for them. Maybe let them win one round and then take Pittsburgh out because that's fine and then lose the next round. You'll notice that the Miami Dolphins did not make the playoffs. They got shamooked. They needed to win to make the playoffs. They got demolished by the Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Bills weren't even trying. They weren't playing Tredavious White, Jerry Hughes. They didn't play a full Josh Allen, and they smoked them. The Dolphins fans, everybody's got to be so disappointed right now. Ryan Fitzpatrick couldn't play in that game. They had to go with Tua. They couldn't score points. They couldn't stop the Buffalo Bills who weren't even really trying all that hard. I mean, the Dolphins are supposed to be a balanced team with a really good defense, good special teams and all that, and it did not show up. So the Dolphins don't make the playoffs, and if any team in the AFC shouldn't make the playoffs, it's division rival Miami Dolphins. Very cool there. After we got that weekend, Saturday, awesome three games. Sunday, awesome three games because we added a seventh playoff team this year from each division or conference. After that, on Monday, we have the national championship game, the college football playoff finals between Alabama and Ohio State. Alabama's currently favored. Why is this interesting? A Monday, 8 o'clock game between two college teams. We haven't talked college football on this podcast ever. But this is QB2, potentially for the Jets, QB1, Justin Fields facing off against a really good Alabama team, so it's really important to see Justin Fields and how he performs. He had six touchdowns last week. If he builds off of that and has a really good week against Alabama, he may end up being the Jets quarterback moving forward, and I may be sold on him if that happens. Aside from that, they got a good quarterback that could go a little bit later on in Alabama and Mac Jones. I like that guy a lot. They got the best running back I've seen in a long time in Alabama, Najee Harris, along with an amazing wide receiver who's potentially going to win the Heisman and Devontae Smith. They've had another guy who's even the receiver ahead of Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, who's been out. They're talking about him making a recovery and potentially playing in this game. That would be insane. Then you've got Patrick Sertain, too. If you don't remember, Patrick Sertain was a defensive back in the NFL, you know, 20 years or so ago. And now his son, Patrick Sertain, is the number one cornerback prospect playing for Alabama. you got another really good wide receiver for Ohio State in Chris Olave. you got a good running back there in Trey Sermon, who's probably going to go in the mid-rounds. you got a really good offensive line, especially interior for Ohio State. There are so many players in this game. It's unbelievable. This is as close as you can get to an NFL-level game in college. I guarantee you that somebody playing in this game 
on Monday will be drafted by the Jets. I don't know who it's going to be yet. Could be Justin Fields, could be Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. There's a ton of guys. But watch this game because there are names. You've never seen so many prospects in a game. Really exciting. Can't wait to watch that. So again, that's going to be Monday, 8 o'clock, two undefeated teams facing off. So there's a lot of good football coming up in our futures. Now, the next order of business before we get to anything else, touching on a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about, is this week's Father Time. My dad's got a nice, a lengthy submission. Got it to me earlier than ever before. Really excited. Season's over. Tons of thoughts are racing. We're going to get plenty more Father Times from him through the offseason. So we didn't want to give everything away here, but let's just get into this one. This is this week's Father Time written by my dad, David Burnham. The chapter is written. Adam Gase is no longer working for the Jets. He tried and failed, but wasn't the only one that wasn't up to the task. I wish him well and expect that he will find future success somewhere else. In moving forward, the Jets need a fresh start, and it is coming. There are many reasons to be positive. First, per Chris Johnson, Joe Douglas has been given the keys to the team. He's in charge of finding our new coach. This is great news considering Peyton Manning recommended Adam Gase, and McCagnan and Chris Johnson basically hired him on the spot. Here's a quote from ESPN about Chris Johnson's view of the next head coach. We want a head coach that coaches the entire team and his staff. You don't have to be offensive. You don't have to be defensive. This is a coach for the entire team. That's very important to us moving forward. I totally agree with this. The best franchises in the NFL have this type of coach. Andy Reid and the Chiefs. John Harbaugh and the Ravens. Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. Bill Asterisk, Belichick, and the Patriots all have Super Bowl rings. This managerial coaching style creates continuity. Consider the coordinators and coaches that these coaches have had and worked with. Our coach stays and manages, delegates, guides, mentors, coaches, and schemes the team as a whole. He will know what's going on. It appears the Johnsons are learning from their mistakes, and this philosophy is a godsend. Now it all falls onto Joe Douglas. He has the contacts. He has the draft picks. He has the money for free agents, and they have the new philosophy. We've got a young, talented base of quality, tough players. This time around, the Jets' head coaching job is desirable, and he will find the coach with a holistic view of the team. The page is turned, and the Jets' 2021 season has begun. The Jets are ascending, and it's only going to continue. Am I crazy to say that this is a great time to be the Jets fan? Am I crazy to say that this is a great time to be a Jets fan? I don't think so. Go Jets. End scene. So, wow. What a whirlwind. So much optimism. I am absolutely right there with him. We touched on a lot of this already. We touched on Peyton Manning having way too much of a say and how important it is that Joe Douglas is going to be the man making the decision. We talked about Adam Gase and how he shouldn't be the right man for the team. I love that quote from Chris Johnson. I didn't have that one pulled up, but he did. He's looking at the exact same stuff I am. And he's right. We got to find a coach with a holistic view of the whole team. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly what he wants. We are on the exact same page in that stuff. We've got a desirable job. This Jets job is not like Jets jobs have passed. The one with Sam Darnold, yeah, that was desirable because he looked like a good, promising young quarterback. But some other ones that we've been hiring for, not so good. This one, like he's saying, with young players, Quinn and Williams, Mackay Becton, a lot of good young draft picks in this year, Denzel Mims, Bryce Hall looks like he could be pretty good. We got a lot of guys around there. We got the money. We can pick up who you want to get. If you're, you know, just say you're the OC or DC of some team in the NFL, we can go hire three of your former players to the team so that you have guys that know the offense, defense, special teams, whatever. We can get them. We got the money to get them, if it really makes sense. The philosophy of the Johnsons, it seems like they have learned from their mistakes because the way that we handled this before was no good. And the way when we brought in the consulting team to hire Mike McCagnan, that was no good. This is the first time that it feels like we've got the right guy making the decision. Everybody else, just please stay back. I hope that it truly does fall entirely on his shoulders. And my dad's excited. It's an optimistic time right now for the Jets when we look at it. The only problem is when I see this whole thing, this is how I feel every single year. Every year I've got reasons to believe the next year is going to be better. You know, it was at one point, we're finally getting an offensive coach to work with Sam Darnold, who's going to finally flourish. And then after that, it was, well, the Jets finished 6-2 and two at the end of the season and Sam Darnold was injured and had mono. Finally, we're going to get our pieces back. It's always something. I always find a reason to be optimistic. But really, this feels like the cleanest the slate has been in years. This might be the most exciting time to be a Jets fan in my life because of the cap space, 
because of the draft picks, this is as good a draft haul as the Jets may ever have because we got the right guy in position. Sam Darnold thing is is disappointing that we don't know if he's going to be the quarterback, but he still may, and he still may pan out. I haven't given up on that guy. And if he doesn't, if we move him, maybe it's for more trade, more uh, more draft assets. So tons of opportunity for this team. Love the father time submission. Thank you, Dad. Great work. Can't wait to see what you got coming up in the offseason. So we're talking about free agents, draft players, and stuff. He's a big uh, big film junkie, too. He likes to get to know, you know the top 50, 60 prospects or so for the Jets, and look forward to see what he's got there. Anyways, that is this week's father time. And now, a quick commercial. And now for our next and basically last order of business, that's recapping the Jets-Patriots game. The Jets lost 14-20 to in Foxborough to the Patriots. They finished 2-14. and This was an ugly game. They had a couple nice plays early on. It looked, it was it was a really, the Jets were winning, but it was a really sloppy game. It looked like two bad teams that didn't deserve to be playing in any sort of important game. It was just like a toilet bowl, and we're not going to talk about it too much. We are going to fly through this thing, but we're still going to touch on what we usually do. Patriots scored first. They were up 7-0. The Jets scored the next 14 points to go up 14-7. to That was in the early second quarter. Then the Patriots go 14-14. Sam Donald starts throwing interceptions. Patriots keep scoring 21-28. Jets end the game 14-28. And this was a disappointing game because you're playing your division rival. It's the last game of the year. Winning, losing, it doesn't matter at this point because you're going to be drafting second no matter what. So it's like, let's just go beat this team. The Jets are, what, two and a half or three and a half point underdogs, which is really, really small for them this year. They've been way bigger than that in every other game. And we just came off a win against the Rams. We just came off a win against the Browns. Those are two playoff teams. I mean, we beat two playoff teams. And now you're playing a really slow, lethargic New England Patriots team. Doesn't seem to have a quarterback in place. And you're thinking maybe we can pick them off, get a win against Bill Belichick, even though it's meaningless. It still feels good to beat them up. But it didn't happen. It was a sloppy, ugly game. Nobody was playing all that well. We did have the lead. It felt like it was possible. And then Sam Darnold started turning the ball over. As good as he looked in the first half to me, spreading the ball around, finding seven different receivers for 10-plus yards in the first half, he just fell apart in the second half. He started maybe seeing ghosts through two picks. This game went away, and I was really hoping to see a better showing from him in the final game. I thought that we were on pace for it early on, and not so much. So we're going to talk team stats, as we always do. The Jets, of course, got kind of beat up in this one. Third down efficiency, we always talk about, 30%. We were 3 for 10 Patriots were 6 for 12. They had more yards than us, 404. We had 350. 350 is not that bad for this team. After sacks were taken into account, we netted 239 passing yards, which is maybe the most we've had all season. But when it came to rushing yards, we had 111, and they had 166. We didn't have that many penalties. Three penalties for 30 yards. But we had, you know, we've been recently, in the past two weeks, we haven't thrown an interception. We haven't had a fumble. We have been winning the turnover battle in every single game. And this is the first week that we didn't. We had two picks thrown. They had none. Neither team had a fumble. That two turnover difference was basically our two score difference. So even though you look through, the Patriots have the slight edge in almost every category, but it's very close in most of them. That's the big one. The turnovers are the big one. That's team stats. We got... uh, we got beat by them. I was really disappointed because I thought that there was no scenario where Cam Newton was finishing this game. I thought his career is basically all over in New England. Bill Belichick, after what he saw from Cam, is not going to want him back next year as a starting quarterback. He's been benched multiple times this year, and he's not been playing well. So I was thinking, okay, we get to Cam early. If the Jets are winning, they're going to put in Jarrett Stidham, and Stidham has more promise and hope for Bill Belichick because he drafted him, and he's young and could be that backup for a long time. Maybe he could learn the system, potentially could turn a corner. That's probably what he's thinking, so I'm hoping he's going to come in. Every single time I've seen Jarrett Stidham play, he stinks. He gets sacked like crazy. We're going to just boost the stats at the end of the year, You know, finish with six sacks in a game, everybody playing awesome, getting picks, feeling good, beating the Patriots. Cam Newton, for the first time in weeks, found success through 242 yards, three touchdowns. He ran for 79 yards, and it was just like, wow. We were the team that made Cam Newton look like Cam Newton in 2015, and that was a bummer. His career is probably over in New England, but we didn't want to end that way. When you go over to the positions in the game, starting with the offense, we got to start with Sam Darnold. And I'm going to be honest, this hurts me to do this. Sam Darnold's going to go down as my doghouse player of the game. 
I mentioned he was on pace for about a 300-yard game in the first half. He had thrown it to seven different receivers for more than 10 yards in the first half. He had good completion percentage. He wasn't getting sacked too much. No turnovers. Sam Darnold was looking good. But that second half came along, and he started falling apart. And he didn't play horrible. He did throw 266 yards in this game most of the season. He had a touchdown throw, a nice one. But he took some bad sacks, was sacked three times, lost 27 yards in those, averaging nine yards lost per sack. And he threw two really bad picks. And the biggest thing about this is this is potentially, for what we're hearing and everything, we know it's possible this could be his last game as a Jet. He really needed to come out here and prove something to us. And he's playing a division rival, somebody who he's had notoriously bad success, that Ghosts game, against in the past. And if he could come out and do something good and make the fan base feel a certain way about him, get a little bit of excitement, instill some juice and hope into us, that would have been awesome. And in the first half, the stats looked good, but his play was like, meh, we weren't sure. That second half came so ugly. He gave the game away. His play... The two interceptions are really well lost for us, as I mentioned. A couple of really bad throws, not reading the coverages right, not seeing the safeties on the Perriman throw. And he didn't run. I mean, in this game, he ran one time for three yards. Whereas, you know, people are talking about how this could be your last game. Maybe you're not listening to the noise, but you've got to realize you're not having a great year. And you're playing a team like this, and you're supposed to try to win. Where's putting the team on your back and maybe just putting your shoulder down into a player like last week? Where's running for first down, scrambling, doing anything you possibly can to pick up the yardage and win the game? I didn't see that. I didn't feel that. And it was uh, not the way I wanted to end it. Now, again, I don't believe that Sam Darnold is a bad quarterback and going to remain that way. I think that somebody, a good coach in the league, will make him a good quarterback again. I really hope it's the Jets. It may not be. But I'm not giving up on this guy. I will root for him wherever he goes, whatever happens next. I just wanted to see more in this game. Didn't do it. He's got to be the doghouse player of the game. You go over to the running game. We mentioned Sam Darnold had three yards. The rest of the team had 108, so that's actually a pretty good rushing game. That's what happens when you don't have Frank Gore or LaMichael P. Ryan. you got two other guys. We always talk. LaMichael P. Ryan, Frank Gore, consistently getting like 3.6, 3.5 yards per carry. Slow, not getting many big gainers. Josh Adams and Ty Johnson each carry the ball 11 times. They get 47 and 45 yards respectively, both over four yards a carry. Josh Adams gets his first touchdown of the year. Good for him. But it's just like... These are two backup fringe NFL running backs in the league. A sixth-round waiver pickup and a sort of journeyman in Josh Adams. They should not, every single time they play, be way more efficient than the guys that you've been starting all year. And that's part of the reason that Adam Gase is gone. But that's also part of the reason that I think it's imperative that we get a very good running back on this team. Because if Josh Adams and Ty Johnson can do it ahead of a really old, basically useless at this point, Frank Gore, and a Michael Piran, who just may not have it, we got to admit. Josh Adams and Ty Johnson make them look like bad running backs? What would a good running back make journeyman running backs look like? I mean, holy moly, we could be a dominant run team, especially if we boost that. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's some future podcast episode stuff, but decent game from both of them. Happy with what I saw from Josh Adams and Ty Johnson. I think that Ty Johnson being under contract until 2023, he may be back. But again, that's stuff for another podcast episode. Braxton Berrios also ran the ball two times for 16 yards. One was for 15 yards. The other was for one yard. The thing about Braxton Berrios is he's quick. And when the defense is not expecting it, those run plays by Berrios can be nice because he is quick and shifty and he likes to get upfield. The problem with Berrios is if anybody's looking at him, sees him get the ball and they touch him, he basically goes down. If he's not breaking any tackles. You've got to do it by misdirection and people not being ready. Not by just like running through a gap and he's going to break a couple tackles. So one successful, one not. When you go to the receiving game, we just talked about doghouse player of the game. And when you think doghouse player of the game, that is basically synonymous with Chris Herndon. We, at one point this year, probably could have named it the Chris Herndon Award. But we didn't. We kept it at doghouse. And this week, I am proud to say, I'm shocked to say, that Chris Herndon is going to go down as our offensive player of the game. He was by far the Jets' most efficient weapon on the field. On nine targets, he had seven receptions, which is more than anybody else. The next most with Crowder with four. He had 63 receiving yards on nine yards of catch, and he had a touchdown, a nice touchdown, going up like a tight end, looking like a tight end play. Like, ooh, yeah, that's what they can do. I forgot about that position group. He's really started to come alive over the last few weeks, and given his contract being on that rookie contract, 
he's going to be a guy that we can move with going forward. He may not be the starter, but he's definitely trending in the right direction. It's possible that after having that car accident and then getting injured, he came back really rusty. It took him, I mean, he was literally fumbling the ball every time he touched it at one point. But now it seems like he's gotten some confidence back. He's got a little bit of juice. And he finishes this year three more catches than anybody else on the team. Second in receiving yards is 63. The only touchdown in the receiving game. And looking like a guy that you can actually get the ball to. Looking like a guy that you can use. Wait, that's that's what you want to see. And so that was by far the best tight end performance that we've had all season long for any tight end. His best game and his offensive player. The only one he gets. Next most receiving yards, or more receiving yards than Chris Harden is Brashad Perriman. He had 84 yards, but it was on three catches. One big one for 53 yards where he just used his speed on a crossing route across the middle to get upfield. He had six targets, so again, a little less efficient. Jameson Crowder, he was four for four, as always, super efficient, but only 31 yards. Ty Johnson had a couple catches early on. I like to see him involved in the pass game because he does get upfield quickly, and he does have you know nice quickness and acceleration. So two catches for 23 there. Berrios, he always finds a way to get sprinkled into that receiving game. Three catches, 20 yards. Daniel Brown had a catch for 18. Denzel Mims has been really quiet recently. One catch for 15 yards. We're going to talk about his final season stats next week. But I was hoping for a bigger close to the season for Mims than what we got. He really started hot, trended up early on. Week two, week three, week four, getting better, better, better. And then he just tapered off. He got concussed in this game, unfortunately, out of fall. Didn't get to come back into the game. So I would have liked to seen him get more opportunities. He only got those two targets, but, um, you know, a quiet end to his season. He will be okay, perfectly fine for 2021. He's a guy we're going to move forward with, no question. Then you had Josh Adams, two catches, 12 yards. And is this the last we see of big play Vincent Smith? Zero catches, two targets. This guy, he came back like week four or five, healthy after being on IR. I thought he was a Jets X-Factor of the year going into this thing. What was I thinking? Big play Vince, I'll eat my words. He did not do anything this year. He was useless. He had a bad fumble. Um, I just, I don't know what we're supposed to do with this guy. I was hoping that in his second year with the Jets, he would find a little bit of, a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of work. You know, we had tons of injuries to the wide receiver group this year, but no, he did not. Vincent Smith, boo. The offensive line was okay. Like I said, we were sacked three times. Some of that's on Sam Darnold holding the ball too long. He wasn't hit all that many times. The New England Patriots totaled six quarterback hits. That's not terrible. Uh, even the Jets had more than that on Cam Newton. But uh, we only had three penalties, too, so that's not so bad. This offensive line is almost there. They got a lot of good players. They need a couple more. Mekhi Becton got shaken up in this game. You don't want to see that. He gets shaken up a lot. He needs to get a little bit tougher. I don't want to give him too much of a hard time because he's absolutely amazing. But there's a certain level of, like, something's not going to tear, something's not going to break, you're not going to make an injury worse or aggravate it, then sometimes you play through a little bit of pain. I don't know if he's prepared to do that the way other guys are. A guy like Frank Orr is like, he's going to get his 16,000 yards. He's just going to run, run, run up the middle. He's in pain. He's just going to keep doing it. Kai Beckton's like, whoa, 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 I'm not feeling so good. I think I got the wind knocked out of me. I got to go to the bench. Sometimes, you know, work it out. So that is our offensive side of the ball. We're going to move over to the defensive side of the ball. But first, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap. And today, I am drinking Bissell Brothers Industry versus Inferiority. And I picked this one because basically the Jets being the inferior team every single week in the NFL it just felt very fitting as the season comes to an end that we drink an industry versus inferiority. Kind of like the story of our season all year long. But this is a Bissell Bros beer. Part of that uh, that legendary main engagement weekend fun. Where I got the Swish and some of the really good Bissell Brothers beer. This is uh, some of the last stock that I've got. I didn't know this beer, so I didn't get very many. I only got four. Um, I wanted to get Swish. That was the big one. They had another one there, Reciprocal, that I like. Wanted to get that as well. Didn't know this one, but I was like, hey, it's Bristol Brothers, so I'll get it. I wish I got more. It's really good. When you go to a good brewery and they say you can get X amount of stuff, don't get more than you can drink, but good breweries make good beer. And have a little bit more faith. If you're not going to try it beforehand and you're just going to go home and blindly grab something, if you're wondering, like, ah, I'm not sure if I like it, if it's that good a brewery, you probably will. This is an ale. 
one pint, so a 16-ouncer, 6.2% alcohol by volume. It's got a green, black, and silver can. Got some cool lines going on. And it's um, it's kind of ailey. It's also kind of like a... It's a little IPA-ish mixed with an ale. That 6.2%. So it's got that happy medium. It's almost like they took a lighter golden ale and mixed it with like a double New England IPA. It's got a little bit of that fla- flavor, but a little bit of that lightness. Some of that goldeny flavor to it as well. But then some of that IPA bitterness. I think it's a nice sort of hybrid. Good combo. And today, this is really cool. I'm drinking out of what is called a brumate, which is basically a non-disposable koozie made of, uh, I don't know, steel or something, double insulated. It is for 16-ounce tall boys. It was a gift for fiance Shannon for Christmas. It is pink, but it is awesome at keeping a beer cold. I've been drinking this thing all episode. I'm on to like minute 48 or something here. And it's good. It's crispy cold. So that is What's on Tap, Industry versus Inferiority by Bissell Brothers. Check it out if you can get it. Up in Maine. Awesome. All right. That is What's on Tap. Now we got to take a quick commercial break. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome back. Defense. We're going to talk defense now. Just gave up 28 points, four touchdowns to this Cam Newton, bad offense, a real bummer there. Um, they didn't give up a ton to the receivers, really. Sony Michelle had 60 receiving yards. James White had 31 receiving yards. Cam Newton even had 20 receiving yards. So then when you look at it, tight ends, Asiasi, 39. Dalton Keene had six. The receivers, Demir Bird had seven. Nikhil Harry had 17. Oluski had 14. And then the leading guy on their whole team, Jacoby Myers, we knew it was going to be him. He was the big target going into this week. Six catches, 68 yards. So across the board, you're looking at it like we didn't really give up a huge game to anybody. Some players like Bird and Nikhil Harry got absolutely, you know, covered and blanketed all game. But uh, they found a way to get 261 passing yards and four passing touchdowns. So that's a little bit of a, a bummer there. They also ran for 5.7 yards per carry and 166 yards. So that's a bummer as well. 79 of those yards went to Cam. 76 went to Sony. That was a lot of yardage there. Big, big gainers. Way more efficient than the Jets were running the ball. Way more efficient than the Jets were passing the ball. So when you go over to the defensive line, that's the first place we start. We like to start in the middle with Quinn and Williams, but he's still not playing. He'll be back next year perfectly fine. Foley Fadikasi, as worthy a backup as any. They actually were saying a stat. He's one of the best tackling defensive linemen in the league per snap, and that's just Foley Fadikasi for you. He's a guy that gets it done. UConn represent. He had a QB hit, only one tackle in this game. So those numbers may go down just a little bit, but, uh, you know, not his best game, of course. The rest of the defensive line, we're really quiet from Henry Anderson. We're not seeing much there. John Franklin Myers, he had a relatively quiet game as well, made his presence felt a few times. He did have a tackle for a loss. Some of the guys that did stand out on that line, Bryce Huff, a young guy that I just mentioned not showing up for like five, six weeks, undrafted free agent that we were hoping would maybe be a fixture for this team moving forward, at least in a depth role. He had a tackle, but he had a tackle for a loss, and two QB hits. So that was a big deal for him. Terrell Basham, he's been pretty solid recently. He had half a sack. Nice QB hit there. Nathan Shepard, he had a QB hit, four tackles. He's continuing to be a guy that you feel like you can trust on that line. And then Frankie Luvu, outside linebacker. This guy's been hot for like three weeks in a row. He was almost our defensive player of the game because he had another sack in this game. Five tackles. I mean, he seems like a guy who wants to be back on the team next year. He seems like a guy who's playing for something has purpose. You put him in there, you give him more snaps because Jordan Jenkins goes down and Frankie Louvre makes the most of it. I think he's getting as much or more done than Jordan Jenkins did all year. He doesn't set the edge the same way that Jordan Jenkins does. Doesn't have the same bull rush ability. Probably not as good against the run, but Frankie Louvre does find a way to get after the quarterback, get QB hits. We've seen it the last few weeks. The other linebackers, Bryce Hager. This guy, eight tackles, half a sack. This guy was a guy that I was making fun of like two weeks ago for playing 131 snaps, none of them being significant in any way. And then two weeks in a row, he actually has significant playtime. He did make a few mistakes in this game. He's probably not going to come back on the team, but he did get half a sack to close the season out. Um, And, you know, that's what we had from our guys in the middle. We had Neville Hewitt as well. Probably one of his quieter games of the year. Actually out-tackled by Hager. He only had seven tackles. 
And uh, just part of that's game planning from the Patriots, staying away from him. Quiet, average, regular game from him. Not a lot of mistakes, but, uh, you know, you'd like to see a little more. When you go to the cornerbacks, we don't have Bless Austin playing in this game, so we're back to putting Lamar Jackson in. He was all right. Um, we didn't really get dominated by any specific player in the passing game. 261 yards is actually less than we usually give up. Some of it went to Cam Newton for 20 yards and then a lot to the running backs. Some of that's just like not tackling, not being quick enough, and not being disciplined. Screen passes and whatnot. But when you look at the uh, the other side of Lamar Jackson, Bryce Hall, he's actually going to be our player of the game in this one. And the reason is, if you watch him play, he was consistently covering his man, making the tackle, getting the job done. He was plenty of time on Demir Bird, who, again, we mentioned had one catch for seven yards. I think Michael Nania posted a tweet um, that Bryce Hall's given up three or four first downs in the past three weeks. This guy is playing as good as any quarterback we've had on the team all season long. And he's a guy that we were hoping would be progressing. Early on, he had one, one and a half questionable, not so good games. But since then, he's got an interception. He's shutting guys down. He's proving that he should be a player on the field. When you don't have Bless Austin out there and you're running with like, okay, fifth round rookie and undrafted rookies are starting guys. And he can do that and lead that and be that clear number one, get the job done, do it consistently for three weeks in a row. I'm not saying that he's Darrell Rivas. He's certainly, certainly not Darrell Rivas. But the way that Darrell Rivas would play a great game against somebody, and early on, hardly get mentioned, early in that season, I don't know, it was like 2008 or so, when he was shutting everybody down, best receivers in the league getting like 10 yards against him game after game. It took until like week seven or eight before they picked up and be like, I don't think he's giving up any yards. Early on, it was just like, he wasn't getting mentioned. Ball wasn't getting thrown there. No opportunities for interceptions, just quiet games. And that's kind of what we're seeing from Bryce Hall right now. He's not getting picked on the way everybody else in the team is. The Patriots stayed away from him a bit, and he deserves the recognition here. So we're going to give him defensive player of the game. Way to go, Bryce Hall, for a consistent, a full 60 minutes of good play. Then you have Arthur Mollett. He's all right. You know, you miss, of course, you miss Brian Poole and you potentially could find somebody else to play that role. We're missing a bunch of guys in that defensive backfield right now. We don't have McDougald. We don't have Bless Austin. We don't have Brian Poole. We don't have Ashton Davis. So you're working with scraps here. You got, you know, Matthias Farley's playing starting safety. He's a special teams captain. That's about it. Put Matt Slater in at wide receiver. We've seen that. You don't find much. So quiet game from both of those guys, Mollett, Farley. Meh. Marcus May led the team in tackles, 10 tackles. He had a tackle for a loss. He was there, but, you know, overall, the Jets got beat up in this game. A lot of these guys, you see names on this list. You look through this. You got J.T. Hassel, Corey Ballantyne. You got Sheriff Finch, Noah Dawkins, Taziel Smart. You're like, who are some of these players? A lot of them aren't going to be back. A lot of these guys are not going to be back. And the Jets were not going out there. We put a lot of guys on IR. A lot of guys just, you know, at this point in the season, it's like we're going to play some of these practice squad guys, some of these reserve future contracts, guys for training camp next year. But we're not going to go too crazy. This was probably one of our less exciting defensive lineups that we've had all season long. And it showed. It really did show. If you go over to the special team side of the ball, there really wasn't a great game there either. The thing that was exciting is that we didn't have to watch Sergio Castillo because I'm over him. We didn't have to watch Sam Ficken because I'm over him. Although he just got a reserves future contract somehow. We're going to consider bringing him back to battle somebody, hopefully somebody way better than him. But Chase McLaughlin, the guy we picked up from the Jaguars, he starts kicking. Two extra point opportunities, makes them both, makes it look easy. So that was nice to see. Braden Mann punted a few times, 37-yard average, only one inside the 20. That's not a very good game punting. One of them was 52. Hit a couple bad punts. He does need to get more consistent. I love Braden Mann. I love the fire he's got, the ability to boom it, the ability to tackle players. But he's got to get more consistent. He currently... I know he was talked about for the Pro Bowl, but he is not one of the better punters in the league. He's got to get there. When you talk about the return game, no punt returns. You got two kick returners in this game. Vincent Smith, one for 16. Corey Ballantyne, two returns, averaging 21 for a long of 22. So you're thinking to yourself, who the world are we going to give special teams player of the game to? McLaughlin for getting two extra points? Braden Mann for a bad punting game? You know what? When all this happens and you've got nobody to give it to, and you're looking around like, I don't know who's doing it, there is one player who has done his job at an extraordinary level season after season, 
does it well and gets no credit. And who is that man? That is one long snapper, Thomas Hennessy, a guy who has great snaps time and time again. When's the last time you remember a bad, bobbled, botched snap on a punt or on an extra point or a field goal try where you're like, ah, Thomas, you forget who he is. And we've had some really good long snappers. We had James Darth, we had Tanner Perdum, and we have Thomas Hennessy. So you're used to having a really good long snapper there. But when you got a bad one, you notice it. And when you're not getting noticed as a long snapper, you're doing a good job. When you go two years as Thomas Hennessy, three years, and you can, he actually tackles pretty well and gets downfield for a long snapper. But when you have great, great holds like that, unfortunately, he's got bad kickers behind him who are making it look like he's doing a worse job than he is. But in reality, he is a really good long snapper. We got to be happy to have him. He doesn't get any credit. Not a lot of opportunity for him to win special teams player of the game, even if he does everything perfect and like these perfect, the most amazing snap you've ever seen three times in a row. We would never even notice it. We'd just be like, yeah, he did his job. But everybody else, they do their job. They make an extra point, and we're like, oh, it's his player of the game. So, Thomas, you deserve it. Special teams player of the game. Way to freaking go. Way to make one aspect of the game, long snapping on special teams, an absolute afterthought. Love that. As many things like that as you can do. Braxton Barrios catches the punt every time. Love that. Not having to worry about, like, is he going to catch it? Is he going to run backwards when he catches it and try to pick up yards by going 12 yards backwards first? Like, sometimes it's just nice to have a guy that can do their job. You can rely on them. So that is our special teams. Now is when we talk about the upcoming matchup for the following week, but we don't know who that is right now. We've seen the schedule. It is available right now. You can see the Jets definitely have an easier strength of schedule next year than they had this year for sure. We get to play some teams like the Bengals and the Jaguars. That should be fun. We play the NFC South, and we play the AFC South. Yeah, we're playing both Souths this next year, so that's going to be Titans, Texans, Colts, and Jaguars, and that's going to be Saints, Falcons, Panthers, and Buccaneers. So we will play Tom Brady, and we will play uh, Trevor Lawrence. A couple interesting games for next year, but we're not going to talk about any of those because we don't know who it is in week one of next year yet. We can't talk about preseason. All we can do is talk about what's to come with this New York Jets team. Who is going to be our new head coach? Depending on that head coach, what's that vision going to be? We're expecting that the head coach and Joe Douglas will have a shared, similar vision for the next two, three, four, five years. They should have a two-year plan, a four-year plan, a five-year plan. Joe Douglas will find a guy that's like him. We don't really know, other than the offensive line, not giving out bad contracts, you know, building through the draft. We don't really know what style in free agency or what kind of team Joe Douglas wants to build the way we'd like to. The head coach will give us some of that. Is this head coach a guy that's going to maybe alter what kind of quarterback we're going to take? If you get an Eric Bieniemy, you got to start thinking that Zach Wilson's potentially the guy because he plays a lot more like Patrick Mahomes than Justin Fields does. If you get a guy like Robert Sala, you got to consider to yourself, maybe he's not going to be looking at a quarterback. He might just want to have a good, complete team across the board. If you get a guy like Wink Martindale, a defensive guy, maybe he just wants to go and lock down, you know, trade back and lock down Patrick Sertan Caleb Farley, one of the best cornerbacks in the draft, or get an edge rusher that we don't have, spend money elsewhere. So that's going to kind of dictate where we look moving forward in the next processes of the draft and free agency. Like I said, the next podcast for us actually, though, is going to be doing a season recap for the Jets. I know we talk about like each game and how everybody does, but I really want to look back and be like, all right, so where did Jameson Crowder finish in yards? And where did that rank in the rest of the league? And how did the Jets finish in rushing attack versus everybody else? How many sacks did we get as a team total? Just kind of break down what we were hoping for, standard benchmarks, and look forward towards next year a little bit. We're going to give out our awards, offensive player of the game, defensive player of the game, and uh, or of the season. What am I saying of the game? Offensive player of the season. Whoever got the most tallies on this whiteboard I got next to me, we got the most tallies for defense, special teams, and then our doghouse player of the year. Uh, don't tell him, whoever he is. Do not at him on Twitter. He does not need to know that he's our doghouse player of the game. He may be back next year and maybe a guy that actually is trending upwards. So let's just kind of keep that on the hush right now. But uh, it's going to be fun. And anything else you want to do, throw in, let me know. We can tear this podcast how we want. A lot of wiggle room. Like I said, going to do bi-weekly episodes. So you won't hear from me next week. You'll hear from me the week after. But in the meantime, you can look for me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan, where, as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing postseason free agent previews. 
In case you missed that portion of the podcast, that's going to be where before each postseason game, I'm going to give you a list of both teams' key free agents the Jets potentially could be looking at. And you may look at the list and be like, well, the Jets would never get this guy. We've already got X. It's not a scenario of just like, I know that in your mind you think that we don't need him or we don't need this position or something, but you always have to look for depth. You always got to look for opportunities to find somebody that can be a bench player or maybe a starter. And maybe you move somebody that you currently have now to another position or another team and replace them elsewhere. Joe Douglas is going to be creative. He's known to be creative, work the draft board, make trades, get stuff done. But we got to look at those free agents. We got to start scouting ourselves for the NFL to decide who do we want on this team and which direction do we want it to go. You may want to have a great receiving core, but you got to have good receiving options available in free agency. You may want to see like, well, let's just go pick up a quarterback in free agency. Well, who's available? You got to know that stuff. So we're going to talk about all those playoff teams who have a ton of good players on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. As always, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere they're found under the Gang Green Nation podcast series title. This is the Jet Life. Any uh, positive, negative, whatever you got to say. All interactions and engagement are very crucial and beneficial to me doing this podcast. I've had a great time doing this with you guys this year. Um, I know we were 2-14, and 14 and at times it was difficult to come in here after like nine losses in a row and just talk about the same thing again and be like, I don't know if it's going to get better. I don't know if they're going to get rid of Adam Gase. I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like It's like tough to do all that, but at this point, looking at it as a whole, we learned a lot about a lot of guys. We got a, a really young team overall. We have a ton of opportunity and flexibility. We got that clean slate. It's been the, the key phrase of the week. Clean slate for the New York Jets. And uh, it's been fun. I appreciate everybody for coming out here. I know it's been a weird year, but we made it. 17 games for the Jets. 16 games. 17 weeks of football. 16 games for the Jets in a COVID season. We made it. And uh, you guys are awesome. You're the reason I keep making these things. Thank you very much. Can't appreciate you any more than I do. That's all I got for you guys. I can't wait to start the off-season editions of this podcast. We got more to come. We got a killer 2021 on the way. Here we go, Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 